Your world, your challenges, your faith. When faith within engages the world without, there's power. It's living life from the inside out. How do you respond when people say they find Christians offensive? It's a tough place to be, and that's why we're going to talk about it today here on Family Life's Inside Out, where we look at how God transforms His people from the inside out. I'm Martha Manikas Foster, and my guest today is Caitlin Miller Feblis, author of an article on this topic for the Gospel Coalition. Welcome, Caitlin, to Inside Out. Thanks so much, Martha. Excited to be talking with you. I'm appreciating your insight, and I want to be able to share it with other people. So, Caitlin, I know, I think we all know, that it's one thing to repent of our own actions if we've been unkind or offensive. You know, it's harder, I think it is harder anyway, when people tell you that they find Christians as a whole or in certain circumstances offensive or prejudiced. How do you suggest we begin to respond when we hear this? Yeah, you know, I think we've all faced this, whether in our neighborhoods or in a work setting. And I think a lot of times we're prone to respond with a posture of defensiveness, or Mm -hmm. at least deference. We weren't the ones who committed this or that fault. Or we go in our mind to all the good that has come from Christianity first. And there's a place for that. But I think when we first respond with just defensiveness, we can come across as callous Mm -hmm. or just really uncompassionate towards what this person's experienced, what they've experienced by someone, maybe even in the name of Christ, even if that person wasn't us directly. Mm -hmm. And if they don't feel heard and understood, I think they're far less likely to hear us or even want to understand us back. Mm -hmm. But humility has a way of disarming people. It really does in a truly countercultural way. You know, Proverbs 25, 15 tells us that even the strongest and proudest among us can be persuaded by patience and a soft tongue. Mm. So starting starting with that, a posture of patience, with soft tongue, with a listening ear, I think that's our first response, listening with humility and really listening, not just forming our response yes. as they're talking, Yes, which we are all guilty of, I think, in many ways. We mm. realized we didn't actually hear anything they said. Mm. We were just thinking about what we wanted to say next. Right. Uh, but when we really listen with that humility and we get to better know their story, their background, their questions, even their hang-ups with faith, mm-hmm. I think that can make us more effective in future conversations because it gives us more to draw from, sort of a launching point for, for questions and issues in the future. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes them more likely to continue opening up and considering us, just because once we do really hear their reasons for why they think they see Christians as as being bigoted or hateful or whatever words they use. You know, we can denounce the ways that those interactions don't reflect Christ. I think that's the next step is to be really honest with that, because Mm -hmm. if we don't, we risk leaving them with all the assumptions that they started with, that these words, these perspectives that they've heard from hateful Christians in the past represent Christ when they may actually only be a marred distortion of him. I think the last thing for us to remember is Jesus did this too. Jesus very freely called out times and ways in which other people's beliefs or behaviors strayed from being true alignments with God's Word. Right. So we can reflect Jesus by doing that too. Mm -hmm. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Inside Out on Family Life. I'm talking today with author Caitlin Miller-Feblis. Caitlin, It's good to listen and show compassion for the ways people have been hurt 
and even to separate the sinful behavior of imperfect believers from the life and person of Christ who we know and we love and we work to follow. But how do you suggest we also talk about the contrast to this? So this is something that is not consistent with Jesus, for instance. The thing that hurt you, you know, I feel so deeply hurt with you, and I don't believe that that represents Jesus. We can say those things, but how do we also talk about what we do believe as followers of Jesus? That's so good, Martha, because I I think it's probably a lot more easy and comfortable to just stop where you mentioned, just Mm -hmm. listening and denouncing the unchristlikeness. That can be a a little bit of sort of just a peacekeeping way to approach the conversation. And then I think the real courage comes in in the next steps, which can still be done with that patience and soft tongue and gentleness and humility that we talked about earlier. But, you know, we talked about those ways we should denounce unchristlikeness. We should call out what our Christ is not like. But we also want to affirm who Christ is and what He is like. Mm -hmm. Because for all the ways in which we, me at the foremost, as still sinful Christians, misrepresent Him, because like Roman 3 tells us, we all fall short of the glory of God, Mm -hmm. we do still believe that Jesus lived the only perfect life. And believing in Him does not make Christians sinless perfectly forever, at least on this side of eternity. Sanctification Mm -hmm. is a long process. Mm -hmm. But the sin of Christians, I would argue, is not a reason to disbelieve the gospel necessarily. It's actually a stronger reason to cling to it, Mm -hmm. because Jesus is our only hope. He's still the light of the world. He's still our hope in life and death. He's still, honestly, at the end of it, what we believe this person sitting across from us is most searching for and most desperate for, whether Mm -hmm. they even see or know that yet or not. So, just even as we denounce unchristlikeness, we don't denounce Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, Christians may act shamefully, we need to acknowledge that, but we're not ashamed of Christ. We're not ashamed of the gospel, like Romans 1 tells us. So, I think practically, moving forward from that, you know, once we've listened with humility, we've denounced unchristlikeness, we've affirmed Christ by pointing to why we still cling to and believe in Him, despite the wrongs we see Christians around us commit, despite the wrongs we as Christians ourselves commit, Mm -hmm. why we still turn to Him. You know, I think one of the next best things we can do is also turn the tables a little bit by seeking common ground. And I don't mean turn the tables in a argumentative or combative sense, but asking questions back of the other person that challenges them to, to think really critically too. And what I mean by that is, you know, Christ is no question and represented poorly by believers, mm-hmm. all believers, including me, including us. Mm-hmm. But followers of any other movement or religious system have poorly represented their true beliefs at times, too, including the, the person sitting across from you. And if you can get them to start thinking about that, mm-hmm. it helps them get at the source of this. You know, if the person you're talking to is Muslim, have they ever seen Muslims act in a way that doesn't represent Islam's true teaching? Right. Or if your coworker is Buddhist, have they seen Buddhists act in a way mm-hmm. that doesn't represent Buddha's true teaching? Even great atrocities have been committed in the name of science, but do we totally discredit the field of science as a whole? Mm. We don't. What we do in that is we go back to the source and examine the source for whether it's believable and trustworthy or not. I'm certainly not arguing that that puts all religious systems and faith systems on even playing field. They right. all mean the same thing. No. Jesus was very clear that he's the way and the truth and the life. But what I mean by that is if we can get to the common ground of, 
you know, a lot of people, including each of us in this conversation, misrepresent what they truly believe to be truth at times, but that doesn't affect the credibility of that that claim at its source. Mm-hmm. But let's go back and look at the real claim. Let's go back and look at the person of Jesus then and look at his teaching, his claims, his truth, his credibility through Scripture, through the revealed living Word of God, through everything we see around us. Mm-hmm. If we can come back to that and sort of join arms with the person we sit with and look and examine Christ together and how He is all that is good and true and trustworthy and pure and right in the world, that can be a real powerful place as He works to draw all people, including them, to Himself. Mm-hmm. You have such wisdom as you thought through this. One of the, one of the challenges that, that comes to mind for me is that in the position of denouncing unchristlikeness there's a, a skill there there's a talent there's a, a only holy spirit inspired ability to do that without denouncing the christians who are behaving unchristlikely it's a struggle yeah. to see how not to be divisive in the body when there are brothers and sisters who are not living out yeah. their their faith in a way that is consistent with jesus and i want yeah. to distance myself from that on the other hand i have compassion for those who are behaving in ways that are not like Jesus. So to the non-believer, when I have these conversations and I do regularly, it's yes, this that has hurt you does not represent Jesus, but I don't want to throw those people necessarily under the bus. Have you thought about that? Yeah, that's so true, Martha. And I love your thought there on how do we still honor unity and brotherly love within the body of Christ. But I think what you probably would say to you, not in a way that's just trying to save faith. No, save faith. no, and, right. And, you know, again, I go back to Jesus's example here. Jesus loved better than anyone ever will and was more gracious and merciful and compassionate than anyone. And yet Jesus was willing to be very clear about sins and actions that were wrong, that contradicted God's mm-hmm. word, whether they were done by someone who claimed to be a follower of him or not. And then Jesus didn't stop there because his message then went on probably to a call for humility of all people. You know, I think about a conversation you or I could have with someone who's listing the atrocities they've seen Christians commit, and we can affirm truly the things that that are unchristlike mm-hmm. for being unchristlike, denounce those things. And then also to share that with the posture of humility that's quick to acknowledge my own sin mm-hmm. and maybe then even as contagious to the person sitting across from us and them having the humility to acknowledge their own sins and shortcomings too. Mm-hmm. You know, we may be discussing a, a news article about a widespread hateful event committed by those in the name of Christians. But I and that person I'm talking to have also acted hatefully in our lives, probably that same day. Mm. And so if we can bring ourselves to the humility of realizing there may be certain cases of this that have bigger impact in terms of numbers, in terms of fallout, in terms of just consequences that really need to be rightfully acknowledged and apologized for for what they are. Mm -hmm. And also at the root of that sin is the same sin that's in me, the same sin that's in Mm this person I'm talking to. And again, we can use all of that to point Mm -hmm. myself, to point this person, to point all of us 
back to the only one who ever lived that perfect human life Mm -hmm. and who's our only hope for overcoming that sin in ourselves and in everybody around us. The the only one who can redeem that very clear sin. We're talking about those sins and and our our shortfalls, however it is the conversation goes with someone who doesn't also believe, but the only one who can redeem those, the only one who can make it right. right. Yeah. So, Caitlin, what do you see as the power of living differently from the generalizations of those who criticize Christianity to, to have a life that does not embody those very characteristics that have hurt the person that we're talking to? I think we underestimate this one, I think, in ways it's because it's also the hardest one, <laughs> you know, for, for all the great arguments that we might put together, all the rationalizations and the facts and the considerations and the points. And there's a place for all of that. I still think from my own experience and just from what you and I probably both see in the world around us, it seems like one of, if not the most powerful apologetics that we present to unbelievers is the apologetic of our lives. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that we don't ever use our words because we need the word. Jesus Mm -hmm. is the word of God and he used words to be clear and to bring clarity to what he really was calling us to believe. But you know, if we if we live in a way that is compellingly countercultural, we can we can force unbelievers to start asking what's different about us. Mm-hmm. When we are in the midst of waiting, but we seem to somehow have a supernatural patience. When mm-hmm. we are really frustrated by our enemies, but we seem to have a supernatural love for them. When we are surrounded by temptations or enticements to greed but we somehow supernaturally seem to resist those. Even just the way that we show up in our offices, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our grocery stores, when we act in a countercultural way, honestly, when we act in a way that's opposite of our flesh and Mm -hmm. opposite of the way that the world expects us to believe, we force people to start asking why and to start asking what's different about us. Lord willing, if they start seeing the fruit of the Spirit in us, that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and Mm self-control. Those are radical virtues in this world, Mm -hmm. increasingly radical, each one of those. Mm -hmm. And they're not a fruit of our effort. They're not a fruit of our diligence. They're not a fruit of our good habits. They are a fruit of the Spirit from abiding in Jesus. Right. And so I just think that for each hateful or selfish or greedy or manipulative Christian example that an unbeliever has experienced, we can be a counter example as a Christian that they also now have to explain. <laughs> and I think that's both a, mm-hmm. both an apology for what they've experienced and, a po- and an apologetic for the Christ that we hope they continue to seek and find. I think it's the best apology and apologetic that we might can give. That's beautiful. And... It can't be a to-do list. It really has to be our strategy, if we have one, is that we have to be growing closer to Jesus because it's only the Holy Spirit that is going to manifest in that way in our lives because otherwise we're going to show somebody acting to those people close to us who are watching us. It, it, It has to be springing out from a relationship that grows deeper and deeper with Christ. Yes, absolutely. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much. Thank you for for writing this article for the Gospel Coalition and for joining me here today on Inside Out. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Martha. My guest has been author Caitlin Miller-Fedless. 
You'll find a link to her TGC article that inspired this conversation at thegospelcoalition.org. That's all together, thegospelcoalition.org. I'm Martha Manikas Foster with Inside Out on Family Life. Thank you for plugging into this Family Life News podcast, streaming issues-driven, family-focused news.